This is episode number 823 with New York Times bestselling author, Sam Harris. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Ram Das said, as we grow in our consciousness, there will be more compassion and more love. And then the barriers between people, between religions, and between nations will begin to fall. This is a powerful two-part series with Sam Harris, who is a five-time New York Times bestselling author, whose writing and public lectures cover a range of topics, including neuroscience, moral philosophy, religion, meditation practice, human violence, and rationality. His work has been published in more than 20 languages and has been discussed in the New York Times, Time Magazine, Rolling Stone, and many other publications. Sam has practiced meditation for more than 30 years and has studied with many Tibetan, Indian, Burmese, and Western meditation, and he created the Waking Up course for anyone who wants to learn to meditate in a modern scientific context. Sam also hosts the Making Sense podcasts, which explores some of the most important questions about the human mind, society, and current events. And in this interview, we talk about how Sam discovered feeling unconditional love for all beings and what he did to maintain that feeling of unconditional love. The strong power of belief, which can make good people do horrible things. Deconstructing consciousness and using meditation as a tool for breaking the spell of our emotions. How to skillfully curate the contents of your thinking. This is a powerful part. The superpower of being indifferent to both good and bad thoughts and how to develop it. I'm telling you, I did not want to stop this interview. That's why we made it into two parts. I could have gone seven parts. But this first one is going to really open you up to thinking in a different way. And Sam has a different way of thinking. And part two is just as powerful, if not more, on the personal side of Sam, which he's never shared about these certain things anywhere publicly. So I'm excited for you to listen to both parts. Make sure to share this with a friend today. Text a friend and be a champion in their life by sending them some positive information. lewishouse.com slash 823 to get the message out on social media or just text a couple friends right now individually or in a group chat. lewishouse.com slash 823 or this link wherever you're listening to it on your podcast app. I don't know about you, but when around 3 p.m. hits, I find myself craving the right refreshment to get me through that mid-afternoon slump. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea is full-flavored sweet tea, but without the sugar and the calories. It might take several bottles for you to believe that a delicious sweet tea can really have zero sugar and zero calories. But you know what they say, life is full of surprises. Or in this case, full of flavor. New Pure Leaf Zero Sugar Sweet Iced Tea. Try it to believe it. For 20% off your next 12 pack head to amazon and use promo code 20 pure leaf that's promo code 20 p-u-r-e-l-e-a-f for 20 percent off take your business further with the smart and flexible american express business gold card 
you can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Okay, quick math. The less your business depends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep, obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite, and you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com com slash greatness netsuite.com slash greatness again head to netsuite.com slash greatness without further ado guys let's dive into this part one with sam harris welcome back everyone to the school of greatness podcast we've got the iconic and legendary sam harris in the house good to see you sir pleasure to be here thank you for being here uh i've heard about you for many years all incredible things and i'm excited to dive into your whole life. Yeah. All Let's right. start from childhood. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> now you've been uh, you've been really known for meditation over the last few years, more and more. From what I've heard from you, it's more about meditation. You've got this incredible app, the Waking Up app, mm. and your voice is so soothing that it's very relaxing yeah, as well. Or soporific, depending on <laughs> exactly. When did you get into meditation, and why did you feel like it was necessary for your life? Uh, I was 18, and um, I had a drug experience with MDMA, and this is mm-hmm. before MDMA was Getting the cool. The, right. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, a little. I had I knew no one of my generation who had tried it or had even heard of it. I mean, I'm sure someone had, but um, it was uh, this was '86, I think '85, '86, mm-hmm. and so you know, raves, as far as I know, hadn't been invented, and mm-hmm. it's, you know, and and this was this was kind of an export from the psychotherapeutic community that had been using it for quite some time. And so it was given to me explicitly as a, as a tool to explore the, the nature of consciousness and to realize something fundamental about, especially kind of relationships and my own emotional life. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't know what to expect, again, because I, I, I'd only known one person who had taken it. And so I sat down with my best friend and we, we tried this drug and it, was, it, was, it really amounted to a a total firmware upgrade of my brain. I mean, it was just, you know, it's not, and again, I don't want to sound like a booster for psychedelics entirely. I mean, there's, there are downsides to all these drugs. Uh, you, know, you know, I think, I think MDA, MDMA in particular stands a chance of being somewhat neurotoxic. You know, mm. the, the data at least is ambiguous on that. People can have bad experiences, certainly on LSD and psilocybin, and I've had those experiences. And so I, it's a mixed message, and I have a, a, a chapter in my book, Waking Up, 
titled Drugs and the Meaning of Life. And there's actually an audio version of that on my podcast. It's, it might even be the first podcast. So if people want the, the full story there, they can get it. But the reality for me was that this, and, and this is true for many people, MDMA showed me a landscape of mind and, and a way of being that I didn't realize was possible. You know, I was an 18-year-old who was very egocentric and, you know, my ego was well defended and, and uh, you know, I had no, you know, the notion of experiencing unconditional love had not mm. occurred to me and, you know, and there's just many things that I just was not, if you'd asked me what was someone like religion, someone like Jesus talking about and what were the, what, what, what's the core of all of the religions that people take so seriously, the experiential core of it, I would, I think I had just an empty file on that. I just had no sense of you know, what people had been doing for the last 2,000 years wow. to, to transform their experience. So I had this experience of, you know, unconditional love is not too strong a word. And So during this experience, you felt unconditional love? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, what, what I felt was layers of self-concern there that I, I didn't even know existed get stripped away, and what was left was a, a state of being that was just wide open and, and has, had a, as its ethical core, just unlimited good intention toward wow. other people, whether they're friends or strangers. And I realized that I loved strangers in the same way that I loved friends and family at, at, the, at the most basic level, because I just wanted everyone to be happy. And, and, and the, that desire was so, was so, it was just turned up to 11. You realize that's, if the real ballast for you emotionally and ethically is that you want other people to be happy. You want them to have beautiful lives. You want them to be to, to realize their their dreams. You want their you basically you realize that there's the sense that there's a zero sum contest between your well being or your happiness and, and others is an illusion, right? I mean, you want all boats to rise with with right. some tide. Win win experience with yeah. everyone, yeah. So you want positive sum interactions with people. That was it. Just bowled over every other wrinkle in my uh, in my mind for, for the period of you know four hours right so there was wow. just there was no there was no limit to that and it's not transactional you realize that that is actually a state of being that's that's the way you're that could be the default state of your own consciousness if you could only locate it you know and then coming down from an experience like that you know the drug wears off and then you're, you're returned to who you used to be <laughs> with the memory of what it was like a few hours before so that then there was an imperative to figure out what just what was possible in terms of uh, you know techniques like meditation or you know, ch- you know new understandings of how the mind works I mean, what what there, there's clearly a path there must be a path by which one can have that experience more and more of the time sure. and so then my notion of just what what the goal of meditation was i mean that that has actually changed a bit it's not about producing this state of unconditional love all the time i mean i, I think that's that's not actually the center of the bullseye, but that was the first experience I had, which gave me a sense that there, there's a path and there's some something to do. Did you ever feel like you had a sense of unconditional love before that moment? Oh, no, no. I mean, I had no reference point. For no reference. I mean, I had love for, you know, I love my mom, right? Like, there's no, I, love was a noun that I, I could use, uh, you know, honestly, but no, there was no... I mean, there hadn't been a glimmer of that experience, really. Wow. I mean, it was actually the first moment in my life that I felt sane. And I hadn't realized that. At 18. That, yeah. No, I mean, well, and it was only by comparison to all previous states. I mean, to, like I had this experience and I realized, okay, okay, this is, this is sanity, 
right? Like the, you know, the, this is how it should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and this, and the return to one's normal waking, narcissistic, neurotic consciousness was one of not not being restored. One problem is that we have this word drug uh-huh. that is the the word we use to to cover this vast class of compounds that are psychoactive. And some drugs are awful and not worth taking and just intrinsically bad for you, both in terms of what they do to you neurophysiologically and, right. and the kinds of states of consciousness that people experience there. And other drugs, I would argue, have immense therapeutic value and, mm-hmm. and are worth taking under, under the right conditions. And MDMA is certainly one of those drugs and it's being used as a, as a remedy for PTSD now in a lot of research uh, to yeah. great effect. But people think, oh, you've taken a drug, so this, by definition, this is artificial. This is a, this, so whatever you experience there is, is less like the real you mm. than whatever returns when the drug wears off, right? But that wasn't the experience, and that's certainly not the experience as you get deeper into things like meditation that don't in, entail drugs, right? You can actually discover that the way you're tending to be, the way you're, you've been conditioned to be by life and, and you know, biology, frankly. I mean, we're not, you know, evolution has not designed us to maximize our well-being. Evolution has designed us to, to be fairly paranoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, to try to stay uh, safe, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're not, ourselves. We're, we're apes, right? <clears throat> right. You know, it's just, it, it, this is not about our happiness. From the, the, the gene's eye view of what we're doing here is not, you know, maximizing human happiness and building a global civilization that will endure for a million years, right? That's just not what our genes care about, you know? They care about being safe or? Well, they care about, I mean, all we've evolved to do is maximize the likelihood that we will successfully spawn and stay around long enough to see that our progeny survive and spawn. Once you're 40 years old, evolution doesn't care about you, you know, for the most part. I mean, I guess there's some argument that grandparents are a value or even great-grandparents are a value, but it's just, it, it can't see so much of what we need to be happy. We're deeply conditioned for tribal violence, right? And the tribal violence is just is something that we obviously have to outgrow, globally speaking. We're deeply conditioned to perceive ourselves in at least potentially hostile relationships with all other apes like ourselves and and yet the self the, I mean, the feeling of self and this is this is actually getting closer to what i think the 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 goal of meditation is the sense of self is an illusion right this is a this is a construct that can be felt through and, and discovered to actually be false there is an immense amount of good that comes with that discovery but it's not something that has paid adaptive dividends in the past and it's it's something that you know it might actually be hostile to what would keep an ape, an ape you know, safe you know, for, for, the, for the millions of years we and our ancestors have evolved, right? So there are many things, there are many good things, and I would argue most good things that we want to be able to pay attention to in the year 2019, and that we want to have the free attention to, to the free attention to, to explore, would be counterproductive if you, know, you were returned to the savanna mm-hmm. and just, just in a contest of all against all. You know? right. So, I mean, everything from, I mean, conversations like this. I mean, we're, we're, we're going to talk about almost nothing that, a, that apes like ourselves have needed to focus on Cared for, for 500,000 years. When did we start to focus on the desire to be happy? 
what, like what year or years or decades was this where we really said, okay, we've got our needs met or basic needs met. Let's focus on being happy and feeling unconditional love more. Well, it depends who you're talking about because most of, most of humanity, even at this moment, doesn't have the free attention to really think seriously about what it means to be happy. Well, you just look at the economic imperatives of you know, most people in most situations. It's not about really having the, the free attention to do whatever you want or what you, what, you, what you would think at the end of the day would be most satisfying. It's right? about so, survival, more yeah. basic needs. Yeah, yeah. And or just you're living in a situation of stark political insecurity, right? right? You're just worried about, you know, what sort of violence may happen in the street later today or like what you what you may or may not say that could get you jailed, right? You know, Crazy. so it's it's not. So like so so much of human history has been just figuring out how to get strangers to cooperate reliably enough so that they have the free attention to explore the things we want to explore so that yeah, we can figure out why, you know, why we're dying from diseases and then you know, cancel them, right? So, right. like, like just just to just to be able to do science is a luxury, and this is where I mean, you know, as you probably know, I've spent a lot of time criticizing organized religion because historically and even currently, so much of it is hostile to. I mean, so, so much of it is putting in place of, of of real curiosity and a real search for answers. Iron Age fictions that just got codified in books mm-hmm. that can't be edited. Right, so in my view, the, the main tool we have to navigate now, and this has always been the case, but it's, it's just more and more imperative that we realize this, the main tool is human conversation. And what every religion is, is a, an insistence by a certain group of people uh, that we anchor ourselves to a conversation that, that was held hundreds or thousands of years ago. Right, so, and, right. And so it's like you, either you want to have the best ideas actionable and, and interpretable now, or you want to be hostage to what your great, 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 great grandfather and grandmother thought was true about the nature of reality. And if you go back far enough, you're talking to people who knew absolutely nothing that a sixth grader knows today. Right. You know, I mean, literally, if you could get a, build a time machine and send a sixth grader back a thousand years, that boy or girl would be the smartest and wisest person on earth in the world on, on, on so many topics, right? I mean, just just to know that electricity exists, right? You're a, you're a savant, right? So, <laughs> um, or the DNA has something to do with biological inheritance, or, right. or, or the, the germ theory of disease. I mean, imagine being the, the lone person on earth who understood that you know you should you should wash your hands before uh, you deliver babies. You save the world. Yeah, exactly. You save humanity from that. Yeah. So it's insane that we are captive to doctrines mm. that just were never in contact with, with, the, with the knowledge base that we, we have currently. Why, why do so many people believe so strongly in their religion? And I'm not here to say someone's right or wrong, but why do they believe I so strongly? That's why I okay, am. Okay, you can do what okay. you want to say. Why do so many people, I mean, there's billions of people that still believe in religion, that yeah. have a religion, and that believe so firmly in the beliefs of the books from their religion, yet they can't prove any of those things from those books. Is that right? Is that fair to say? Yeah. Can't prove. Well, they, they certainly can't prove those things. Certain yes. things actually yeah. happened in certain books. 
Right. Except yeah. for just that someone wrote a story about I mean, it. Yeah, I mean, some imagine that, that they have proof, but I mean, it's, it's often... But there's no actual that, physical proof today that these things happen. No, and I mean, it's worse still. The, the, the books themselves say that they're inerrant, right? I mean, the Quran says that it's inerrant, and the Bible says that it's inerrant in various places. And that is taken as evidence of its inerrancy. Well, I mean, the Lord of the Rings could... I mean, Tolkien could have put a line in there which said this is, you know, perfectly true, and any doubt otherwise would get you consigned to hell... And that wouldn't prove that the, the book is true. So it's, it's just, you know, it doesn't. And the amazing thing is that, you know, every Christian looks at the Quran and looks at the, the whole discourse around it within Islam and finds it completely unpersuasive. You know, and every Muslim returns the favor with respect to Christianity. So it's, it's not, um, if you stand outside of one of these traditions, you can see that the language game that they're playing within it to justify everything is is illegitimate. But in, in defense of religious people, it's true that there are these core needs in life, emotionally uh, and socially, that secular culture has been very slow to meet. And in certain cases, has almost nothing to say, especially with respect to the kinds of experiences we started this conversation on. I mean, it's just you know, like the experience of self-transcendence or yeah. the experience of unconditional love. If you have that experience, if you wake up tomorrow morning feeling unconditional love for all sentient beings, right? You Traditionally, there has been no language with which to greet that epiphany but religious language. I mean, right. so you, if you go into a church and say, listen, I've just had this experience, they have a lot to tell you about you know, Jesus and, and sure. his grace and, and you know, and... One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there too. 
too. In person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Uh, the power of prayer and it links up with 2,000 years seeking experiences of that kind in a contemplative context, you know, monks and nuns. And I mean, if you go too far, then they begin to worry that you're, you know, you're, you're too heterodox. And if, you know, in the 14th century, if you went too far, you know, they would burn you at the stake because you're, right. you're, you're claiming to be God yourself or you're claiming to be the equivalent of Jesus, right? So mm -hmm. that, there's, a, there's a hierarchy there that you have to respect. And the same is true for Islam. Yeah, I mean, so there is a baby in the bathwater that, that religious people are right to worry is being disregarded or being thrown out uh, when you criticize faith yeah. and, and criticize these doctrines. The other reason that religion endures, and it's really the main one, is that you know we all die, and the people we love die, and that is intolerable. And it's true that if you can believe a sufficiently consoling story about what death means or what it doesn't mean, a lot of the stress of life goes away. Gives you more peace. Yeah, I mean, it, totally, in certain cases, total peace. I mean, right. that, like in certain cases, it's if you believe the sufficient doctrines, it's a good thing. I mean, you can literally get yourself into a, into a situation, as it often happens under Islam, where a mother can legitimately celebrate the you know, the suicide bombing perpetrated by her jihadist son. She knows she'll because see it. Yeah. she knows he he got into paradise wow. as a martyr, and he got the whole family in there too. Right? This is like you know it's the, the ultimate old, sacrifice. Yeah, and it's it's all good. I mean, if you really believe it, it's all good. Nothing has gone wrong there. Right. And and so that's the power of belief, and that's what. You know, it's the insidious power of belief because it's the thing that, I mean, something like suicide bombing should be impossible. It should be impossible to convince somebody to do that, right? It should be synonymous with severe depression and just inability to find any goodness in life. That's not the kind of person who becomes a jihadist and, and becomes a suicide bomber. These are not the, you know, depressed people who would otherwise be, you know, medicated in a mental hospital. Uh, uh, because their depression is so severe. No, this is, these are people who have a lot to live for, for the most part. You know, they're disproportionately well-educated. These are people who are, you know, come out of engineering programs and colleges. They can get jobs. They, there's, there's economic opportunity. They're, they have sincere beliefs in, this case, martyrdom and, and the reality of paradise. So, yeah, so I've spent a lot of time, you know, worrying out loud about the consequences of those kinds of ideas because, mm -hmm. for me, the, the most concerning thing about our world is not that there are a lot of bad people doing bad things. It's a lot of good people doing bad things under the, the sway of unfounded and, and dangerous and divisive beliefs. Right. I mean, ideas are right. way more powerful than you know, the 1% the, the of us or the half of 1% of us who just happen to be psychopaths. Right. right. If you put a belief in, it's like inception. It's like you planted a an idea is so deeply in someone's mind that this is going to happen. They believe it so much that they're willing to do whatever it takes yeah. to make it a reality. Yeah. I'm curious, what do you believe happens when we die? I don't know. I just, I, I don't know. I mean, that would require that we understand exactly how consciousness arises, and, and we don't understand that yet. There's certainly good reason to doubt that 
you as you experience yourself most of the time as a, you know the 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 English speaking uh, you know, uh, person who or subject who has the episodic memories you have of your life that that entity uh, floats off the brain and goes elsewhere right and that's that's the expectation that most people have who believe in souls right and and when you when you hear people use uh, so-called near-death experiences to justify a belief in an afterlife. That's it's it's that kind of mm-hmm. uh, arithmetic that's being done. They said, "Well, I was, you know, I, I I saw myself in a tunnel of light, or I saw, I you know, I rose up off the table that they were performing surgery on me. I could see myself, but then I realized I was, you know, not connected to my body. And then I, you know, and then there's some story about how they you know, met entities or met even met members of their own family who had died, you know, and mm. and they're, you know, so if you can recognize your grandma. And still understand English, and then still have a memory of 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 the life you're leaving. All all of those are modes of cognition that we know a fair amount about at the level of the brain now, and we know they can be disrupted piecemeal in life, right? You know that we know that if you get a stroke, or if you just if you go into a lab and they do TMS on you, transcranial magnetic stimulation, they can interrupt certain functions, which really are, are no longer there anymore just because with the, you know, the, that neural real estate has been perturbed. So the proposition here is that you know, if you interrupt one part of neur- neuronal function, you lose, let's say, your capacity to understand English, right? Mm-hmm. But if you destroy the brain at death, everything about yourself that's familiar will persist, right? That doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so my, we know a lot about mind being dependent. On the brain, you know, all the any function you could point to in yourself, you know, mind, vision, mind versus brain. What's the difference? Well, I mean, the mind on some basic level is what the brain is doing, and if the brain stops doing that, it's it's reasonable to expect that the functions of mind will stop. But consciousness is the fact that it's like something to be associated with that with that information processing, and that is still fundamentally mysterious. I mean, there's a, there's a lot that our brain is doing that seems unconscious, right, it's, and seems unavailable to consciousness in principle. I mean, so like, and, and so, and it's, these unconscious pro- processes are delivering the contents of consciousness in each moment, right? So you and I are having a conversation, I can see you, I can hear you, right. I can, you know, there, there are things that are stable that I can inspect because they're, they're among the contents of consciousness, but how all of this stuff is showing up is, un- is, is being unconsciously mediated and really can't be inspected. So, you know, like I'm, I mean, the, the example I always use is, you know, because I, I'm always talking when I have to use an example, but so like to some degree, however imperfectly, I am managing to follow the rules of English grammar without knowing how I do that. Sure. Right? And you're, you're able to effortlessly Listen interpret. And understand, yeah. Yeah, so, and in fact, you you don't even have a choice. If I say the word pigeon, right, you can understand it. I mean, provided you're a native English speaker and that's right. in your vocabulary, you can't help but understand it. You can't, it's like you can't say, well, whatever that next word is going to be, I'm just going to block the semantics of it. No, the semantics <laughs> right. just come in, right? Because, and so you're, you're doing all of this, your brain is doing all of this unconsciously. And you can't, you can't get to a place where you are standing upstream of the, the, the parsing of, of, the, of the, the sounds I'm making. I'm just making a bunch of small mouth noises, right? <laughs> and, I mean, and you know the difference. When you're in the presence of someone who's speaking a language which you know not a single word, 
right? You know, wh- whatever that is, tie, say. It just sounds like pure gibberish. And the, and, and, and the, the surprising thing there is that you, it's very hard to even imagine that anyone can decode those sounds and extract meaning at all, right? It just sounds like, well, it's amazing that that's a language, right? right. Uh, and yet, once you know the language, you can't help but decode it. So all of that's unconscious, um, and, uh, and yet the fundamental mystery of our being and the most important thing in the universe, really, I would argue the only important thing in the universe is the fact that the lights are on in and as what we are here subjectively, which, which is consciousness. You know, if the lights were off, right, if it was all just, if, if there was no distinction between biological systems and this table, right, you know, if there was nothing that it was like to be you, and there could never become something that it was like to be you or any other physical system, well, then there is no, there's no important distinction between the wet stuff we have in our heads and rocks and, you know, you know the, the water and the ocean. I mean, it's just, it's all just stuff that has, can, can have no interests. It can't, can't suffer. It can't experience happiness. It can't be deprived of happiness. It can't be creative. It can't, so the good thing about this universe is consciousness and so and that's and the thing we can care about you know your 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 life is as your your consciousness is in each moment and i mean you all you have is your experience and your possible experiences and and that's the core of our morality too it's like like we, we are in a position with one another where we can affect each other's states of well-being and our opportunities to to experience further well-being in, in the future, and that matters. Our conversation around that is our conversation around morality and ethics and, and you know politics and yeah. you know. So, how do we how do we unlock our consciousness or expand it in a positive way? Well, Bes- it, besides yeah. meditation, obviously, but what are some? How can we think differently so we can unlock this consciousness for ourselves? Yeah, well, there are many levels at which to do that. I mean, so it's a meditation is. There are many different kinds of meditation, but the, the kind that interests me most and, and which I most recommend is, it often got, goes by the name of mindfulness now. Mm-hmm. I mean, mindfulness is very widespread, but there's, there's a, a sort of trivial versions of mindfulness and there's the, the, the deeper version. And, and the deeper version is really to understand the mechanics of your own mental suffering sure. and put yourself in a position to, to cease to suffer unnecessarily, right? So you, you notice that you're lost in thought almost every moment of your life and much of your thinking has this this mediocre character of causing you to worry about the, the future and and regret the past mm-hmm. and just feel a, a, a baseline disease with life right whether whether it is just you know what it was like for me to drive here in traffic and like oh, am I going to be late you know I was supposed right. to be here at 10 o'clock and like so all, like like so much of our life is the steady hum of that kind of uh, thinking, right? And uh, not to mention the, you know, the bigger concerns about, you know, disease and, you know, whether your child is sick and like we're thinking, like we're plunged into thought in each moment and we don't notice it. Mm. And until you learn to be mindful, you can't notice it. All you could, I mean, you, you might have this abstract idea that, yeah, of course I'm thinking a lot of the time, but, you know, so what? Or like, what, how, you know, what's the alternative, right? There is no alternative. You're just... Each thought will arise and completely capture your attention, and then you are hostage to the 
the emotional and behavioral imperatives of that thought, right? So, and it's necessary to, to, to some degree to be that way because we need, we need thought. I mean, we, we, thought is the way we, we organize our lives and, and form plans and, and, and understand what's happening, right? So like it's a, yeah. almost everything that makes us human is born of our capacity for abstract thought and planning and goal formation and all the rest. But it's possible to recognize thought as a stream of appearances in consciousness and to recognize that consciousness is a, the kind of the prior condition of their arising. And when you can do that, you can actually break the link between thought and psychological suffering. So, like, so if you, if so, the thought is a an, ang- an anxiety-producing thought. You can notice this whole process where a thought arises and you feel anxious, and that feeling of anxiety in your body, uh, when once uninspected, begins to generate the the motive for further thoughts along those lines. So you're thinking about the thing that makes you anxious, and because you're anxious, you. You're finding the anxiety intolerable. You've got resistance to feeling this this feeling, and you're thinking about like, how can I get out of this? And like, oh, okay, clearly, I got, I've got a lot. I've got to change here. Let me get a, you know, I'm going to start writing some things down on a checklist. You're thinking without knowing that you're thinking, and you're feeling the motive force of this this emotion. But once you can become mindful, which is is, is which is to just be aware of what's arising in, in consciousness without judgment, without reaction, without resistance, right? I mean, so, so to be able to notice anxiety as a, just a pattern of sensation in the body, right? And then when you can do that, you can see that, for, first of all, it's not that bad, right? right. In fact, you- You're not you, dying. Yeah, no, and, and under, under a different framing, it's a sensation that is, is often pleasant, right? Like the, 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 the excitement you feel or even the anxiety you feel before you get on a roller coaster, right? If that's your thing, is something you're you're willing to pay to do. Right? Like, about, yeah. yeah, you want this thing. You want that's part of the experience. You go skydiving. Yeah, whatever. Like, like, like that's that's the you know the the being able to. Ha- I mean, the thrill is a thrill because you have you felt some of that, right? So, and that, and that's why I say there are other levels at which you can you can work with the contents of consciousness so as to cease to be unhappy. I mean, and, and one is to change the frame around an experience like that. So I mean, to recognize that anxiety, you know, the anxiety you might feel before going out on stage in front of a thousand people, just the raw sensation in your torso and in your face, I mean, just, just the physiology of Tenseness, it. Tenseness, yeah. yeah. That is importantly similar to something that can have a positive frame which you seek out, like excitement. I mean, a much more extreme case of this is like you can, when you think of what the physical sensations are when you're working out, and you know, working out as hard as you can work out, and in the most satisfying way, the, the precisely the workout you'll feel good for having done, the actual sensations are, can be extremely unpleasant. And, it, and if they just came upon you in a different context, you would call 911, you'd be absolutely terrified, right? Like it just, I'm sweating yeah. profusely, yeah. my muscles are ripping. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's just the conceptual frame around experience does a tremendous amount. But mindfulness is a more basic ability to notice this mechanism of becoming identified with thought and resisting certain emotions and mood states and being able to just unlock mm-hmm. from all of that and recognize that consciousness itself, that which is simply aware of experience, is not actually changed 
by its contents. I mean, so like that which is aware of joy is the same thing that which is aware of sadness, right? And on some level, it's not diminished by sadness or improved by joy. And you keep dropping back into that state. And paradoxically and, and happily, that state begins to have its own kind of qualitative character, which is which is more toward the good side of things. I mean, it's more joyful and compassionate and loving and positive. And it, because, because the antithesis of all those states is what is happening, is being, is being kindled by our entanglement with thought mm-hmm. and reactivity. It's like, it's like the, it's the resistance to, you know, I feel the sensations of anxiety, say, because I was lost in thought about how you know, you know, afraid of failure I am I mean, a moment ago. I c- can break that spell with mindfulness and then notice that the, the physiology, which still t- may take a few seconds to dissipate, yeah. It's fine, right? Like it's just—it's fine to feel that way. It's like it has no more meaning in that moment than a pain in the knee or indigestion or something, which is you completely can contextualize and it and has no implication for who you are as a person, right? Like I don't, you know, you don't feel pain in the knee and abstract from that those you know unpleasant sensations back upon yourself and think. I'm such a fucking schmuck, right? Like, 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 well, who am I? Like, my, uh, how did I become this person? I, like, like, it doesn't. But people with anxiety, you know, if, you, if you're if you've got stage fright, right? You're going out on stage and you feel nerves. That the the the, the potential for self judgment, the potential to read into that mere peripheral display of sensation, that you're this person who is who's you know all you know didn't didn't work out, right? You know, in the end. People fall into that hole again and again, right? And it's com- it's completely it's not it's not just sort of unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary. Mm-hmm. And you know, mindfulness is a tool that would allow you to yeah. discover that. Yeah. If you could wave a magic wand or set the parameters for how you wanted to think each day, the thoughts that you actually came in your mind, and you could control it. I'm assuming you control them in a lot of your own ways with your own strategies and techniques and awareness. But if you could just say, "I'm sick of trying to control it," or reframing things when they come up, and you could just say, I want to think these thoughts every day. What would you want to think? What type of thoughts would you want to think? And what would you want to eliminate? First, more fundamentally, I'd, I'd want to recognize that the mind has no shame. It just thinks. It, it just thinks, yeah. right? So like, the thoughts just keep coming. And the goal from a meditative point of view, and this is an analogy that's used in Tibetan Buddhism, is to get into into a position where thoughts are like thieves entering an empty house, right? So there's just mm. there's just no possible problem. Can't right? steal yeah, there's just nothing to steal. That's right? interesting. So that so to to truly be indifferent to a good between a good thought and a bad thought, that's that's the real superpower. That right? is cool. So so that's so that's that's the kind of the more fundamental level of, of addressing the problem. But it's also true. That you can skillfully kind of curate the contents of your your thinking and think better thoughts deliberately, and you can think more creative thoughts. You can think more compassionate thoughts, ethical thoughts. Yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm interested in many many things. I want to know know more about many many things. I want to be right more often than I'm wrong. I mean, so that all of that's happening at the level of of the conversation you're having with yourself and other people, and we and with good books, and and so. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think 
I mean, there are philosophies like you know, the Western philosophy of Stoicism, you know, like the meditations of Marcus Aurelius. There's so many good thoughts. You know, that if, you, if you were looking for a script that would generate a, a reliable baseline of, of psychological well-being and, and ethical conduct, that's certainly part of the script. I mean, to be able to think, and again, it comes back down to reframing a lot. So like, if you know, again, to make it trivial, you, you, you're driving in traffic and, you know, someone cuts you off. The natural state, sort of the, the road rage state, is to just to be irate, you know, and uh, to essentially hate that person. Right. You know, the, the person whose face you can't even see. I mean, you can't <laughs> even tell whether the person's 90 years old or 20 years old, right? right? And that should matter to you, right? Like, you should have a different feeling about a 90-year-old than a 20-year-old in that moment, given the implications. But a stoical kind of reframing of that would be, you, you, is to recognize you don't know what is going on in this person's life, right? And, and nine times out of 10, if you could know it, you would feel compassion for what's going on there. And you'd feel gratitude that you're not suffering the same problem. I mean, the, the one reframing I use all the time now is that whenever something bad is happening, or something, you know, quote bad, something that, that is causing me stress is happening, I think of all of the worst things that are not happening and I just think of how much I would pay, you know, literally pay, to get back to the situation, precisely the circumstance I'm now in, that I'm now stressing about. If right? you had worse conditions. Yeah, yeah, right. So, like, just... If you had no like, legs, if you, could, you were exactly. sick. Exactly. Like- Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this. Assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com greatness. 
ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Awesome. Yeah. You, you, you find out, you know, I did not find out today that I have a brain tumor, right? So whatever I was stressing about today, if I had, if I got the call that I, you know, I have a brain tumor, right, how much would I pay to get back into precisely the situation <laughs> where I was just stressing about, you know, whatever it was on my schedule or, you know, yeah. you know some hassle. It's a non, everything is a non-issue until it's a real issue. And then, so you, when you take something that's a real issue, like a brain tumor, then the question is, how much of the day are you going to spend having a brain tumor, right? I mean, being busy having a brain suffering tumor. Suffering about the brain Exactly. Tumor, yeah. And suffering about your uncertainty about the future, right? So you, there's a time course to all of this. So, mm-hmm. you know, like at each point, and this is where, you know, worry is almost always pointless because like in each moment, there's either something you can do to solve a problem or there isn't, right? Now, if there is something to do, well, then just do that thing, right? Do, solve the problem, right? If there isn't, there's actually nothing to worry about. Like, like be, the worry adds nothing to that situation, right? So you're, so, you know, if you have a brain tumor, yes, you need to go from one doctor to, and probably to a second doctor for a second opinion, and you, you find the surgeon you, you want. And there's a whole process. You're going to get an MRI, you know, all of it, you're, you're, you're you're having to deal with a lot of, yes, objectively stressful things. But, I mean, big picture, we're all in this situation. I mean, life itself is a brain tumor. I mean, we're, we're all going to die. We're all, we're, all, we're, we're all going to go on this. We're going to get the full tour. Now, I mean, for some of us, it, you know, some of us will be very lucky and it will be very orderly and free of pain and we'll be surrounded we're by everyone we love. We're 100 years old. Yeah, yeah, it's just going to go perfectly. And for some people, it'll be chaotic and terrifying and short or long. I mean, it's every permutation, and I'm not denying that it's rational to have preferences there, right? I mean, like, you know, you, you do want the orderly, loving, right. uh, you know, and not untimely unraveling of it all uh, rather than the opposite. But whatever is happening, you have this moment, and then you're thinking, and you're thinking about the future and you're thinking about the past is the mechanism by which you will truly suffer mm. in each moment. Because it is, in fact, true to say that even physical pain is something around which you can develop an impressive ability to be equanimous, right? And we, and we also have, for extreme pain, we have painkillers. I mean, like, happily, we're, living, we're not living in you know, 1700, where, you know, someone is just kind of sawing off your limb, Suffering. you know, you know, uh, <laughs> after the leeches didn't work. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, 99% of our suffering around everything, even objectively horrible things like brain tumors, is our thought about past and future, is the regret. And it, I mean, it's, 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 it's the story we're telling ourselves. How do we move on from the story or how do you do it? Do you live with a, a lot of worry each day or are you so good now at just saying, this doesn't matter, you know, this is in the past or I'm concerned about something that's not gonna happen potentially in the future, so let me get back to present. Like, how do you not worry? Well, There you have it, my friends. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Powerful one on mindfulness versus happiness with Sam Harris. What a game changer. We are just getting started. Part two is coming very soon. So if this is your first time here on the podcast, 
hit that subscribe button, leave us a review. Let me know what you thought about this. We like to share out these reviews online. We like to share out these reviews on our internal team to see how we can improve this show, how we can make it better for you every single day. And please spread the message of greatness. Be a hero in someone's life by sending them this link. Just copy and paste the link on your podcast app, wherever you're listening to it, Apple Podcast or Google Play or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to this podcast, copy the link and text it to one or two friends right now. Post it on social media, share the message of greatness and be a champion and a hero in someone's life today. Paying it forward is the best thing you can do. And as our friend Ram Das says in the the beginning of this episode, as we grow in our consciousness, there will be more compassion and more love. And then the barriers between people, between religions, and between nations will begin to fall. Look within yourself today and ask yourself, where can I be more compassionate? Where can I have more love? I know I can tap into this in so many areas of my life, in my relationships, in uh, family relationships, business relationships and with myself to be honest where can you have more compassion and more love you know you want to have compassion you don't want to be walked all over in your life but you want to make sure you're coming from a place of love and compassion it's a daily practice and a reminder it's not easy especially as you continue to rise especially as you continue to grow you will be faced with more challenges and that's why this episode and the next episode is going to be so powerful for you now and in the future. I love you so very much. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Your skin refuses to be defined by age. That's why Agency creates personalized anti-aging formulas that smooth fine lines, lighten dark spots, and improve the appearance of dark circles. Each formula is tailored to you and prescribed by a licensed dermatology provider. Formulas are customized with clinically proven ingredients like tretinoin, which is up to 20 times stronger than retinol. Get your first month free at withagency.com. That's W-I-T-H-A-G-E-N-C-Y.com. $4.95 shipping and handling subject to consultation. Subscription required. Cancel anytime. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Nike, Walmart, and Zappos. And even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use and you can get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers. And Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. 
Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 